wife Kathy and I have been going here for a while. We love this place. This is our favorite place to be on Sundays and probably any other day of the week. It'll be even greater once all that air conditioning gets in. Then we just figured we'd camp out and hang out here. My name is Bill Nelson. I've been part of Costa Mesa Life for quite a while. Um, my wife and I founded a, a group called Fresh Beginnings Ministries uh, back in 2012. Uh, We help the homeless people in our community. Um, That's what I'm most known for around here is just basically trying to help the homeless folks to get off the street. We want them to remember who they were before they became who they are. We um, have been in Costa Mesa. My wife was raised here. I was raised in Long Beach on the west side. Yes, I know a preacher's daughter marrying a west side street kid. Yeah, I know. It's kind of weird, but yeah, she has stories, but we don't want to ask her. She's sworn to secrecy. We've... um, been uh, in the ministry since 1980. Together when we got married, we've been together 38 years. We, we um, started in California working in churches. I was actually a, a professional musician for most of my life, um, being part of different bands and, and musicians and people joining doing worship bands around the country here in Nevada and, and other places. So that's me. That's who I am. I'm here today. Eric asked me to share some of the scriptures today. I was a crazy man. I decided at 50 years old I wanted to help people understand the Bible better, so I went back to college. Yeah, don't know if that was the smartest thing I could have done, but it did teach me one thing about the Bible. It helped me more know about what I don't know. And in fact, it made it so that I had to work to find out where I could find the answers I was looking for. So today, as we study the scriptures together, and what I like most about our pastors, Jeff, both Jeff and, and Eric, is that we work hard at making you understand, to help you to understand more about what the writer intended for his audience to hear and to see and to read. Because that's where the key comes in Bible study. As you look at the Word of God, you have to understand it was written by real human beings for real human beings. And in the part of James that we're going to be talking about this morning, you're going to find that even more prevalent than ever. Because in this section of James, he gets kind of, well, he gets rude, basically, with his his own congregation. Not that our pastor would ever do that. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Because, you know, pastors sometimes, you can't trust none of them. Sometimes they start meddling in your business, don't they? Amen? Wait a minute. When I say amen, I need to hear amen. amen. Thank you. There we go. See, they're getting it. That's good. That makes me excited. Okay, so what we have to do as we look at the book of James is understand he was a down-to-earth, straight shooter, that he was the guy that was basically the half-brother of Jesus. He grew up not really sure of who this guy was. And then later on when he came to the knowledge that his own half-brother was truly the Messiah, <laughs> You could not change his mind. In fact, I'm sure that at one point, one of the pastors is going to be talking about his death because he died from a plot that was trying to get him to deny Jesus. And Jesus' half-brother said, I don't care what you do to me or what you say. The truth of the matter is that Jesus was the Messiah, the Lord of all, the King of the universe. And in doing that, we're going to go to James 4 today. If you um, have a Bible with you, please look into James 4. If you're going to use the paperback Bibles that are underneath the seat, please, those are provided even for you to take home. If you want to take notes today and personalize it, do so and then take it home with you. You're looking for page 
1218 in that paperback Bible. Um, that's where we're going to start in the fourth chapter of James. Now, James doesn't really concern himself with, becoming, with being politically correct when he's writing this letter. James is known as, as the guy that if you don't want to hear the truth, then don't open it to this book because he's as straightforward as they can be. Now, here's the interesting part about this. As he's giving us instructions all through this book, you're going to see one word that James constantly uses, and that's the word brethren. So please know, and don't shoot the messenger up here, team, because I love you all dearly. So whatever you hear in the next hour, please don't, you know. Of course, pastor said I could have three, so I'm good. So we're going to, what? So here's what we got to know. He's talking to us, church people. So when you read the book of James, please understand and know that the message that he's giving is for you. We can't read these words in this book, look at it, and then say, oh my gosh, those poor people that he was talking to, I wouldn't want to be there. They must be outside the church. Wrong. Because some of his strongest language is for those who are in the church. Not that we need it. Because Lord knows there's no hard-headed, stubborn... Okay, well, that's not true. There is. All right. So when we get into the fourth chapter, we're going to remember that, that he's, he's talking to them. And he's not just talking in this section about church business. This is about life business. This is about business that every day that you're going to be dealing with in your everyday lives. When he talks about conflicts and quarrels in this chapter, he's going to be talking about things that you face every single day. And we know this because he's talking about our attitude. He's talking about our dedication, our surrender to the God's will and not the surrendering to our own. So as we look at James 4, 1 through 10, I can think of no better title than conflict resolution God's way. And you have a bulletin insert that we're going to start doing. I know it looks like there's a lot of stuff on there. That's because Bill doesn't know how to do it as cool as our pastor does. I just think I have to put all the notes in there. So let's, we're going to start with James chapter 4. Let's look at the first verse. No, first I want to share something else with you. Two weeks ago, Pastor Eric talked about the tongue and, and how it could be... A, something that's on fire. It could steer the rudder of a ship. It can cause damage or it can cause blessing. And then last week, Pastor Jeff gave us a message on James 3 on the wisdom that comes from above and how it's a peace-loving and pure wisdom. But the last verse of chapter 18 is the setup. I mean, of chapter 3, verse 18, is the setup for chapter 4, verse 1. The last verse in chapter 18, uh, chapter 3 was, And the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. So let's see if we can recap just a little bit of James so you understand where we're going to go into here in this fourth chapter. James first gives us the whole thing on the tongue. Please be careful of it because it's very dangerous. It will hurt you. It can cause damage. And then in chapter 3, he tells us, look, if you want to show true righteousness and wisdom from above, then you want to make peace and sow peace. And then (laughs) the very next words out of his mouth, James 4, verse 1. What is the source of quarrels and conflicts among you? Is not the source of your pleasure that wage war in your members? 
You lust and you do not have, so you commit murder. You are envious and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask with wrong motives so that you may spend it on your own pleasures. You adulteresses. Do you not know that friendship with the world is hostility towards God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. We're going to stop just with that right there. Because think about this for a minute. James is the pastor of the church in Jerusalem. I was going to call it the Lighthouse Church in Jerusalem just to make Eric feel good, but I don't know that that was the name. It was more called The Way. People, all people know these Christians as the way to salvation because that's what they claimed. You want to know how to truly get to heaven? It's not by following the law. The law is good and you don't want to ignore it. But if you want to really know how to get to heaven, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. And that's what the way was teaching in this day. And we know that James was the pastor of this Jerusalem church where, by the way, he had a few well-known people named, attending his church named Peter and John and, and those men. Matthew. Those men were all members of his church. Now, wouldn't it be fun to be the pastor of that church knowing that you have the called 12 in your congregation? Go ahead and speak a wrong word and see if somebody doesn't speak up and say, wait a minute, that's not what he said. You need to fix that. So whenever we share the word of God, when we, someone stands up here, when we are called and we are asked to share this, please know that we take this with more serious than you can imagine. Because the biggest blessing about being up here to share the word of God is that most of the time, and our pastors will confirm this, it's for us. We get told more often than anybody else does. Yesterday afternoon, as I'm finishing up the, the preparation for this morning, I'm walking around the house going, oh, great, oh, great. My daughter and my wife are, are used to hearing me say that before I preach because <laughs> they say to me fun things like, what's the matter, dear? Is God talking to you? Yeah, but tomorrow he's going to be talking to you, so there you go. <laughs> Whenever we look into the Word of God, we have to understand something. There's a reason we've been called to that place at that time for a specific purpose. doesn't matter if you're reading Psalms, if you're reading Proverbs, an Old Testament story, a gospel narrative, or even a letter from James. God's Word is something that can change your life at any time of the day or night. In your darkest hour, in your brightest day, the Word of God is what stands true. Please always know and understand that he can be with you at all times. So let's look at conflict resolution God's way. One of the crazy things I did when I went back to school was I really wanted to look at scriptures from the way the original writers intended it to be. Okay, that makes me a little anal and weird, and I go, that's okay, I can deal with my craziness. I hope you can. But we find out that in the original languages, and you'll hear the pastors, both pastors speak about this often, is that in the original languages, the words will change a little bit differently because when they heard this message, they heard it in a whole lot um, more powerful, more strength, more almost a, a, a I want to say a, a meaning that's so powerful, it was life-changing instantly for them. 
And for us in our Western culture, we have to change it to make sense in our Western English language in 2018. And sometimes it's a little bit different than it is. Now, please understand, by no means am I saying to you all that the English versions that we have of this book are not good. I have news for you. If the creator of the world, the God who sent his one and only son to die for you on the cross, who gave us the power of resurrection over death, cannot make the decision of which Bibles are on this earth, then he's really not the most powerful God, is he? But you see, whatever Bible it takes for you to get the gospel message, that's what Jesus wants you to read. That's why God gave us so many different. Because if you look around, you'll see that not as everybody is as good looking as you are. <laughs> and so we, we have to know that when God looked at all of us, he knew that there would be different levels of reading and understanding and comprehension. And so when you're reading whatever version you're reading, God will speak to you. I want to make that clear this morning because one of the things I really enjoy doing in my study of the scriptures is I like to go back and find out what the author intended for it to be. So we're going to talk a little bit about that this morning as we go through this. Okay. So let's go to verse 1. We're going to go back up to verse 1. He says, okay, now what is the source of quarrels and conflicts among you? The very first question. He just told them, those who sow righteousness make peace. Isn't that nice? And he turns around, really? You're asking me the question, what is the source of fights and quarrels among you? He's the pastor of the church. Now, whether you want to believe this or not, pastors of churches know things that you don't know they know. They get told by God all kinds of fun messages about you. And they get to understand your family life and the way that you live and the things. Every time you call them for prayer, every time you call this, they don't share that with anybody else. They ponder it in their heart. They hold on to it. That's why God made the shepherds who the shepherds are. And by the way, church, please know how special and blessed we are for Pastor Eric and Pastor Jeff and Jimmy and Pete Dawson. We, amen. That's, yeah. Because I'll tell you what, this, this group of spiritual leadership that we have in this place is something very unique, very special. And that's why James is, is asking them, he says this question to him because he has information. He knows what's going on in his church. And he says to them, you got to be joking. You're really going to ask me what are the... Why you're fighting? So he just says, okay, you want to know? Here, how's this for something? It's not the source of your pleasures that wage war in your members. Again, he's talking to church people. Why do you, are you acting like you don't know what's causing the fighting? Every one of you are doing it together, doing all the same thing. You know this. You wonder why. The conflicts that he's talking about, he's talking about local ones and global ones. Is not the source your pleasures that wage war in your members. And then in verse 2, he starts to give them the proof. He says, you lust and you do not have, so you commit murder. Okay. Then he says, and you envy and you cannot obtain, so you fight. Then you do not have because you do not ask. Your failure to pray is simply because you're so busy fighting, arguing, fussing, moaning, and groaning. See, James is coming straight up into their face to say, don't come to me with silly questions when you already know the answers. Because you're already a member of the family of God, you should be already having these answers within you. 
And then in verse 3, he says, Then when you do pray, you do not have the answer that you seek or get what you want. And you want to know why? Because God knows your motives. You're praying with impure motives. So when you're asking something, everybody says, Yeah, God doesn't answer all your prayers. No, God does. Guys, the answer sometimes can be wait. Is that a frustrating answer? How many of you think that that's probably God's most frustrating answer is wait? Amen. I'm with all of you because there's the reason that you're seeing me carry this fanny pack, it's not because I'm looking so cool and stylish. It's because simply I have a golf ball size hole right here in my side. And this thing is on a vacuum. I call him Kirby. Yeah, I know. (laughs) Kirby the vacuum because he is um, 24 hours a day vacuuming the wound, trying to make it close because in the last two months it hasn't moved at all. It started out where I could put three golf balls in it. Now it only has one. So that's a good thing. But what it means is simply that it stopped. And as I told Eric on Friday, I'm getting ready. I'm working on the sermon. I'm reading in the scriptures. I'm feeling blessed with this. I go to the doctor because they have to change this three times a week, Monday, Wednesdays, and Fridays. Friday I go, and we're sitting there, and the doctor spends a lot of time looking and cleaning out. Yeah, we're not going to get into the gross stuff. But anyways, he starts looking around in there, and then he looks at his nurse, and he says, yeah, order the machine for 60 more days. I thought he was going to say, hey, by the way, we're almost done with the machine. But God has a different plan. And I will be real straight up and honest with you, family, because that's I consider you my family. It's very hard to stand up here and do this when you have questions in your mind as to what God is doing. And I would love to know. And guess what the answer to my prayer is? (laughs) Thanks, Randy. (laughs) It's wait. So I don't get to know yet. So that means I wait. Do I get discouraged? Yeah. Do I get sad sometimes? Do I have to call the pastor and have him pray? Yeah, I do. So I'm not standing up here proclaiming something that I, because I'm a perfect human being by any way, shape, or form. But I know this as well. See, we have an enemy of our heart, and so do all of you. And his job since day one from he lost the battle, got thrown out of heaven and to the earth, he, his job was to steal every heart of God's that he can take. So he's going to use every means necessary to take your heart. And when we get into the end of this message, you're going to understand this is what James is telling you as well. James is talking about the fact that when you have all these fighting, quarreling, conflicts, and everything else going on, whether it be in your marriages, with your spouses, with your siblings, with your family, with your friends, with school people, whoever you're having conflicts with, it still comes down to one answer. We'll get to that answer in just a minute. I know y'all love when I do that. Verse 3, when you pray. Then in verse 4, if you want to know in verse 4 what he really says, he says, you adulterers and adulteresses. He's making sure that everybody understood. He wasn't just talking to the men only or the women only. He was talking to both. And he's talking about those of you that are not doing this. Don't you know in verse 4, when he has that second part, he says, don't, in the, if you were to read this as a person receiving the letter written in your language in, in that day, in the first century in, in Jerusalem, here's what the words would have meant to you. Don't you know that brotherhood, the phileo love with the world, the cosmos, is to choose hostility towards God? 
See, in ours, in ours it says, you know, therefore whosoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God, which is very true. But when you hear it, what they heard was, don't you know that choosing brotherhood, having phileo love for the world, the cosmos, is to choose, hosti- to choose hostility towards God. Cosmos in the New Testament, the world can, it can mean the world, the earth, and that of it. But all of the time in the New Testament, even before the New Testament, some of the, the Greek philosophers and stuff used it as a belief of everything the world stands for. And if you would like to know their definition of what the world stands for, it's debauchery, hedonism. Hedonism is the big thought of the day when it comes to cosmos. If you want to choose brotherhood with the world, if you want to choose being a part of that and not being a part of God's world, then that's okay. You can choose that, but understand what you've also chosen is hostility towards God. And then when we get into verse 5, I want to read verse 5. Or do you think that Scripture speaks to no purpose? He jealously desires the spirit which he has made to dwell in us. Okay, so if you were of that day, this, these are the words that you would be hearing. First, I want to get, let me back up just one more step. When he says, do you think that the scripture says that God jealously desires the spirit he breathed into mankind is not true? See, in Deuteronomy, in the Old Testament, when God is telling his people that are wandering on doing goofy stuff, he's telling them, look, quit building idols. Quit making everything else your God, whether it be your possessions, your house, the people around you, whatever. Quit doing that. I am a jealous God, and I desire more than anything else you. (laughs) There was a very famous talk show host, and as she was being interviewed about five or six years ago on TV, and no, I'm not going to say her name. She was being interviewed by 60 Minutes, and she was talking, religion came up. And as she was talking about this religious, her religious beliefs, the, the interviewer finally said, wait a minute, we thought you believed in the Bible. And she said, I did. And I'm thinking, oh, turn this, I got to hear this one. You did? I did believe in the Bible until I read that God was a jealous God. And she said... And I was an idiot screaming at the television, so yeah, ignore me. But she said out loud, how can God be jealous of me? I thought he owned everything and had all these things. If God is jealous of me, he not, must not be a very powerful God. And so finally I got to them and I said, folks, he's not jealous of you. He's jealous for you. What God is jealous for is your heart. He, when he gave us free will from the day of the garden and he said, just don't eat of the tree. He could have not put the tree there. He could have said to you, don't eat this. I'm putting a fence around it. It's electrified. Don't go near the tree. But he didn't do that. He just pointed to it and said, don't eat there because you will die. And then the snake. You're not going to die. God doesn't want you to be like him. You see, in that jealousy that God is talking about, he wants your wholehearted 
heart. He wants everything to you. He wants your heart first. Surrender your heart because once you do, you will experience blessings that you cannot fathom, count, believe, understand, or know why you've got them. There are times when all of a sudden the blessings come upon us and we're, we're blessed by friends or family or relatives or, or church people or somebody comes along and blesses you and you just put down your head and you thank the Lord because you don't have no idea why or what for. And yet God has chosen to bless you in, in a very special way. And, and the most amazing part is the way God blesses you, he lets you know that he knows what you need when you don't know what you need. Amen? Wait, 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 wait. He blesses you when he knows what you need, when you don't know what you need. Amen? Amen. There we go. Okay, good. We're getting closer. All right. Let's look at verse 6. Because verse 6 is one of the coolest verses in this part. Here's the exciting part about verse 6. For all of us, we, we would read it simply as, but he gives a greater grace. Therefore, it says, God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Cool verse. And that's amen. That's a neat verse to hear. But if you were in that day, and you were hearing it in your language, your culture, and your historical context. In your language, it would be de megas deromai caris. De megas. Mega. What that says is God lavishly, overflowingly gives you the greatest measure of loving kindness, forgiveness, and love that you will ever experience. It's a little bit different than what we read in our English, isn't it? Because for them to put that, this Bible, this book would be like five times the size if we were able to put on things. And there's a book out there called the Amplified Bible in English. And you may want to look at that one of these days because it's, it's a Bible that has all of those phrases stretched out. But the amazing part about this, this verse right here in verse 6, it's this reason. To prove this true, God says he sets himself against the proud. He purposefully chooses to go against those who are prideful and arrogant. And yet it is those who go lowly. And he says, but to the lowly or the humble, he gives lavishly grace. If you were to take a cup, no matter what size you want to pick. And I almost did this on the stage, but... The, the, the light and detect team probably would have freaked out. I was going to bring a big bucket and pour water and stuff into it and let water go flying everywhere, but they would have been nervous. Electrical and water evidently doesn't mix well. So here's what you have to understand. When God gives us the grace, it's not that he just hands it to you in portions. It's not that he gives it in, in little pieces. Unless it is for the sole purpose of getting you to reach for more. What happens when you give a three-month-old one cookie? What do they do? I mean, they put their hand up. They open their mouth more. They went, now, of course, me and Pastor Eric never do that when we get cookies. We behave ourselves. And both our wives are shaking their heads no right now. But we, we have to understand something. When you get this grace, pretty soon it just keeps coming. And when God decides that he sees your humble spirit, the way that you're trying to really serve him, follow him, watch for him, all of a sudden now this grace and loving kindness and forgiveness that comes to you comes in measures that you don't even know how you're going to handle it. 
Have you ever been so blessed and amazed at his presence that you fall down to your knees, you kneel down beside your bed, you go into a room? Well, I've, <laughs> my big thing is to walk into the bathroom with, the one, with three daughters. <laughs> that, by the way, if you want to know why this is, yeah, it's three daughters. But anyways, if, if the whole thing is this. When you want to have privacy, you go into a room by yourself and you start weeping out to God because he's the one that's giving you grace that's unmeasurable. Your family can't give it to you. Your job won't give it to you. Buying the best car, house, jewelry, all of those things aren't going to give you the kind of carice, the grace that James is talking about. And James is encouraging his people to understand one thing. When God gives grace, he not only gives the best grace, the highest grace, the most effective grace, but he gives the most grace. It's not just about quality. It is also about quantity. The more you say yes to his will, the more he says yes to give you more grace. Please understand that. Saying yes to him always gives you more. So let's talk about God's resolution. Point number three on your outline right there. God's resolution simply is this. He's saying, okay, here's what I want you to do. Submit, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. This was a very interesting verse to translate because there's something in here that I didn't know. And I've translated the book of James before many times for assignments and different stuff. But the whole thing was this. As I get down to it, there was something I found in this section that I didn't know. When he says submit, subject yourself to God by doing the next part of the verse. And here's the next part of the verse. Resist. Oppose on purpose. And here's the amazing part. Set yourself against the destruction that befalls the devil. Now for us, it just says resist and he will flee. But within that resist, the Greek text actually says oppose on purpose. Set yourself against the destruction that befalls the devil. My friends, please know that in chapter 19 of the book of Revelation, there starts an end of the story. Those of you that think that the devil's here to torment you and everything, he is. But we know the end of the story. He doesn't win. In the end, God wins. And in the end, those of you that belong to God, you win. By being filled with his spirit, there's nothing that the devil can do with you. And in fact, by showing this resistance, by doing, setting yourself against that destruction that befalls him, he flees. He doesn't want to be anywhere near that destruction. He's heard people talk about his own destruction and he doesn't like it. He thinks he's the most powerful thing on this earth. Okay, we'll give him that. He might be think he is. But God wins in the end. And that's the way it will always forever be. Eternity will not ever change. God wins in the end. And when you proclaim that, the devil will flee. You want to know the first step in conflict resolution God's way? Submit to God, resist the destruction that befalls the enemy, and he will flee. B, on your outline, under three. Come near to God, purposefully move towards him, and then he will purposefully move towards you. 
All that you have to know and understand is that God's not out there somewhere waiting. Here's what I used to have friends in high school do that were Christians. Well, they were working on their Christianity and they would say, hey, Friday night, we're going to go to a party. Okay, Jesus, you wait here at home. And when I get done with this party, I'll come back and see you. And then when they get to the party, all of a sudden, they're sitting there starting to look down at whatever they're about to do that was wrong. Take a drink, shoot, pill or whatever they're going to do, a smoke or whatever. All of a sudden, they feel a tap on the shoulder. And this was the way a friend of mine, his name was Desi, he explained this to me. He said, Bill, I'm in the middle of this drug-infested, alcohol-consuming place. And all of a sudden, I hear a... He said, it just kept getting louder. And I finally looked up and I'm looking around and there's nobody around me. And I'm thinking, wow, I haven't even taken a hit of this thing yet. And I'm going crazy. And he said, I went, what? And he said, by saying what? (laughs) You've answered God. So God decided, okay, since you want to know, hey, I'm here. What? Wait, what? (laughs) What? Desi said, I was shaking. I couldn't do anything. I said, oh, no, God, I'm not came. I came in here to preach and save my friends. How many of us, when we get faced with God in moments like that, we all of a sudden say, no, God, I'm really here to be a blessing. You know, I'm here to show people the way of Jesus. I went into the devil's den to show they'll be the light. That's why I'm here. Pat, Kathy and I had, we were pastors uh, in churches in Nevada for t- almost 10 years. And if you want to be changed as a pastor, go be a pastor of a church in Nevada. Because you face things that you don't usually see in Southern California. But the amazing thing that it taught me was this. That at no time is the devil the strongest. I can remember walking into music stores to buy guitar strings. And the guys say, what do you do? Well, I'm a worship pastor in the church. And they went, we have churches in Las Vegas? The guy really said that to me. I looked at him and I said... Tell you what I'll do. Here's the address. If you come there this, on Sunday morning, you can hear us play and everything and give me some pointers on what I can do to fix the sound in our church. Really? Yeah. Why don't you come on down and do that? He says, that's a great idea. So he came and he goes, you guys are good musicians. You guys get it done. I mean, the caliber of musicians like we have, we are so blessed up here. And here's the thing. When God brings musicians to himself, he always brings the best. Amen? They're getting it. Okay, so we have to understand that when God calls you out of whatever you were before, he's going to call you into a place that is even better. So when you resist the devil, you come near to God and he chooses to come near to you. All of a sudden now, you are in the place of power. And yet, in this place of power, you feel more humbled, lowly, and weaker than you have ever been. Because it is the power of God himself who resurrected Jesus from the dead and who takes the sting of death and the victory of death away from us and makes us so that we can live with him for eternity in heaven. Amen? Amen. Amen. But the part of this verse in verse 8, when he says, move towards God. And then he says, make clean. And in verse eight, it says, cleanse your hands. You sinners, purify your hearts. You double-minded. Very good. And that's very true. That's a great verse. But if you were hearing it in your culture, in your language, you would have heard this. 
Make clean your hands, you who have behavior that does not measure up to God's standard. Let me think. Are my hands clean to measure? I don't think they were ever that clean. And the next part is even heavier. Work to cleanse your heart to be acceptable for God's use. When he says, in, in ours, you know, purify your hearts. Work to, make, work to cleanse your heart to be acceptable for God's use. You divided man. And uh, ladies, just so you know, when it says you double-minded, it's gender, it's open gender. Because he says you divided man does not mean it's for all the male people in your household. So I don't want to see any wives going, see, he told you. That's what he, God said. It's all you. As a pastoral counselor, I didn't see any of that. I promise I'm good. So we won't tell anybody. And then in part of verse 9, he gets to verse 9 and he says this. And, and people question verse 9 because all of a sudden he's talking about drawing near to God, cleansify, purify your hearts. Then in verse 9 he says, be miserable. Mourn and weep. Let your laughter turn into mourning and your joy to gloom. Oh, there's an encouraging verse. Can you imagine walking into the pastor? Eric just walks in and says, I have a message for you this morning. Be miserable and mourn. Everybody wants to know why James would go this place. Remember when he started? And he said to his congregation, he said, Really? You're asking me questions about your fights and your quarrels as if you don't know? You do know. It's your own pleasures. So James has already set up the picture in their minds of who they think they are. And at this point in time, he's telling them, if you want to show that you're drawing near to God, if you want to show that you're resisting the devil and fleeing with you, there needs to be a complete, total repentance. And what does repentance mean? It means that you're walking this way, you turn around and you walk that way. That's what a repentance is. That means you go completely opposite of what you were doing before. And so if you've got a proud heart, if you are so arrogant to believe that whatever you're doing is always right, always with, I'm doing this for God, and you know good and well that it's your own pleasure that's driving it, please understand and know, at this time, God is looking down at you and saying, I need to see a lowly spirit. I need to see some meekness. I need to see that you truly are mourning. Turn your laughter because of your prideful ways into mourning and your joy into a gloominess. If you want to know the most powerful vessel in the hand of God, it's the one that's completely surrendered to him. It's the one that stretches out and says, God, I got nothing. I don't even know why I'm here. I don't know what you can do because I don't know what you know about me. But I am here to say that I want this conflict resolved within me your way. And then we get into verse 10. Hey, I'm on time. This is good. I'm shocking everybody that knows me right now. When you get into verse 10, humble yourselves in the presence of the Lord, and he will exalt you. <laughs> the humble yourself, if you were hearing it in your language of this day, humble yourself with a focus on reversal of status. 
In other words, I think that I'm all this and I, my status is in my car. My status is in my job, my position, my, my house. My status is in my amazing family. My status is in what I do. Um, Brother Greg was talking about how as a young man, he was an incredible baseball player. And he was always focused on, on his talents and what he did and where he was. And now all of a sudden he's realizing in the hands of God is when we're the most amazing. You humble yourself, therefore, before him. You fall down prostrate. Lay yourself flat out in your spirit to say, God, I don't know anything. All I know is that I can't do anything without you. I can't deal with a hole in my side for six months that was supposed to be gone after five weeks without you. I don't know that I can handle another time hearing a doctor say, I'm sorry, Bill, it's not moving or changing. We have to order this for a lot more time. Because I got stuff to do, guys. I'm really, I, I, I don't have time for this. All right? And yes, all my men at the men's retreat were saying, so are you saying that God is trying to tell you to slow down? Thanks, brothers. Watching out for me. I'm not saying you weren't truthful and, and it's not true, but I, you didn't need to say it. Because there are times where we don't need, amen? We don't need to hear it. Amen? amen? Yeah. Wow. Those of you that like to hear it, raise your hands. I want to hear it. See that? That'll be fun to watch. When he says, humble yourself and fall down before God. Then he says, for a reversal of status before God, fall down in the sight of the Lord. You're just worried about his sight. You know, in, in the sight of the Lord, whenever it says in the sight of the Lord in this, you have to picture um, a sharpshooter. You've seen on TV, when they look through the sight, it's just one eye looking through this sight at one thing. You know, Richard Poley was, was a sheriff all those years. He probably at many times had to look through sights at things he didn't want to see. But you knew that one person was looking through that sight at one person doing it. And every time you see in the sight of the Lord, he's coming down on you and saying, because you're the one reading this right now, he's looking at you down and saying, okay, Bill, you're in the sight of the Lord. What do you want to do? This is true for every time that you are called feel questioned, feel volunteered by a loving pastor who's very good at volunteering people, I will clue you. He finds out what it is that he has called you to do. And then God puts you in the sight of the Lord. This morning, Michelle, who does amazing, I have two grandchildren. One of my, grand, my granddaughter loves Miss Michelle. She thinks she's the neatest thing there is. And that over there is more important than I can ever tell you. I love the fact that Eric tries to get people to understand. If you're in the sight of the Lord and don't shoot the messenger, because I didn't know this until he said what he said. It's actually, you can blame him. But if you're in the sight of the Lord this morning to help out in two weeks for probably one of the most important missions on this earth, Please don't move out of God's sight. Walk up to him. Walk up to Michelle, Pastor Jeff, Jimmy. You let them know, hey, you know what? God's talking. I don't know what I can do with you or how I can help you, but I want you to know I have some time to do this. Because, see, I was raised in the streets of Long Beach on the west side. When I was raised, 
Um, I had a very alcoholic parents, and my dad was a gambler. Um, they're very abusive. I used to have to cover my sister in the closet and take the beatings with an iron hanger so that they couldn't abuse her. I don't tell you that to say, wow, what an amazing person I am. I say that to say God sustained me for a reason. You see, because when I was getting this, the, the nurse looked at me and said, wow, for my count, this is operation number 22. And I said, yeah, somewhere in there. I was born blind. I had nine eye operations before I could see at the age of 10. I broke this arm in such a way that it was sticking out over here in a CIF football game and had two steel plates. They said their bones would never grow together. They didn't know what God was going to do at a mission in Mexico when I was working down. I went to hit down into the dirt, uh, digging up the Tijuana Christian Mission Foundation. And as I hit down in the dirt, a little steel rod came sticking out of my skin right here. And, my youth, and every time I would go like this, it would go away. But if I went like this, it would come sticking out again. The youth minister says, don't ever bend your arm again in my presence. I'll get sick. They took me home. They took me up to San Diego, put me in the hospital. They found out that the amazing thing was the bones did grow back together. And now they had to take the steel plates out that they thought would never be removed. Because that little steel rod that was coming out was not supposed to do that, evidently. Okay. Had four broken noses from gang fights. Got shot in the leg. I have a bullet wound in my leg. And everybody looks at me and goes, why are you alive? And I said, you know what? I don't know other than the fact that every time I can stand up here and share stories with you about what God has done, this is not about Bill. This is not about anything that I have ever done to deserve any of this. This is about the total, complete saving grace of a loving God and a loving Lord who gave his life for me. And if you're here this morning and you do not know who that is, please understand and know, even if you were the last person on this earth, Jesus still would have went to the cross to die for you so that you could spend eternity in heaven with him. There is no doubt in anybody's mind that's who Jesus is. So when he says, humble yourself in the light of the Lord, in the sight of the Lord, understand it's all about surrender. It's all about surrender. That's the story of this morning. And as we think about it being all about surrender, I don't care if it's in your marriage. I don't care if it's with your family. I don't care if it's with a sibling, a work conflict or anything. If you want to do God's conflict resolution God's way, please understand and know the only way you can do that is by starting with one thing, and that's surrendering. You're not surrendering to a person. You're not surrendering to anybody else. You're surrendering to the will of God, and he will direct your path on the way that you should go from there. Yeah, it may start with you having to go to that person and asking forgiveness. It may be for that time that you have to wait. It may be a time when God says no for right now, and you're wondering why. Those of us that have lost loved ones, I had a sister who died passed away of cancer at the age of 39. And I was questioning God at the time, big time, because she was probably the, my best friend. And, and I was asking God what was going on at that time. And I didn't understand it. And I didn't get to know until just recently, her daughter at that time was 10 years old, and her father, the, my brother-in-law, took the daughter and disappeared for 30 years. Because of Facebook, beloved all things, which I'm not a real fan of, but all of a sudden, is this my Uncle Bill? 
Why, who's this? This is Jennifer, Kathy's daughter. I said, this is Uncle Bill, and we have got to renew a relationship that's amazing. She's an incredible person, and the amazing part is she's a great singer, and she was a worship leader for a long time. <laughs> God's so funny. So as we think about conflict resolution, as you think about the things that you need to accomplish in his sight, I have one final question. And many members of my life group are here, and they're, they're tired of this question. They don't like it when I ask it either. Can you say yes to God before you know the question? Wow. Did you hear what I heard? I heard a, oh. Yes. See, it's in print now, and you read it. So that means that you got to kind of respond to it.